and welcome to the latest episode of the Master of None podcast. I am your host, as always, Stephen Murphy, and I'm joined by the regular rugby crew, that is Sam and Westy, and it is the Connacht Season in Review podcast. That's that time of year again, lads. Season has come to an end. We are here to review Connacht season, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, and then we also have to touch on Munster's victory because, lads, it would be you know that would be childish of us not to not to cover it, uh, even though we don't want to. We don't want to. We're going to call it straight. We don't want to do it. But here we're going to give them their kudos. Yeah, whatever, whatever. Uh, anyway, uh, let's check in with the lads. Uh, I am sitting currently in a just a black T-shirt where my colleagues here are both rocking sleeveless vests, and uh, I don't know how to feel about it, Westy. Talk us through it. You've got small lats. Why would you put them on show like that? <laughs> you got to pick on that one part. I just can't have mass to. <laughs> um, no, it's back. Have you been outside? Like for for those three listeners we have outside of Galway, guys, you've got no idea. You have no idea. Apparently, it's like fifteen degrees in Dublin. Pathetic. Ah, uh, yeah, that's that's what makes it sweeter is the fact that the East Coast isn't as nice as here. Because fuck them, it, they always. It was twenty four, I think, at the height of it today. Um. So, yeah, I've already been in the sea today. Um, I cut the grass and I did my job. So it's pretty productive. One of those things I didn't do to the best of my ability. <laughs> what kind of uh, what kind of lawnmower are you rocking? Is it electric? Oh, no. So we rent. Yeah. So we have the Flymo. It's pretty irritating. to. You also feel like a child going through your garden with this, like, push Playmobil, you know. Like, you're always balls so plastic. around in the middle of it. Yeah, but you got the job done. Job done, yeah. We were keeping we we were keeping the back long for the bees. No mo may. Hashtag save the bees. Um also I was lazy as fuck, so I didn't want to do it. Uh yeah, well done. And there's nothing like the smell of fresh cut grass. That that stuff will just oh I love it. Why haven't Lynx come out with that yet? I would buy that. I would buy that in an instant. Tell you that. Uh but yeah, Westy, good good to see your shoulders out. Um always a pleasure. And if yeah, again, people don't know, Shavy oh Shavy I was gonna say <laughs> Westy has shaved. <laughs> Shavy, yeah, I'll, I'll take uh, it. Shavy, yeah. shavy. Uh, well, I haven't seen Westy's chin in, I would say, over a year. Uh, so it's great to see it back out, Westy. We appreciate Call, it. Calling it a chin is, is quite nice. I think it's the, the medical term is a face ass. It's a face <laughs> ass. Well, at least you only have at least you only have one. I've got a couple over here. You so. look, you. I I forget how much you actually look like your brothers until you shave and then you're very similar to your brothers now i said this to my girlfriend the other day i was like it's he's so like his actual family when he shaves yeah it's it's incredible uh, who would have thought genetics uh sam you've also got your shoulders out what's yeah, the not as big as westies <laughs> okay i'm i'm proud of them they're artistic in their own right uh you got some ink going you know I have, I have a big problem at the moment where i'm at that stage where i'm not getting to the gym enough that i'm used to it so every time I go to the gym, I get pretty tired. So I'm avoiding going to the gym on days I could be potentially golfing. So I'm not tired. Uh, that narrows it down to maybe getting to the gym on average about one and a half times a week. So I've not really cultivated any mass in the last six months. But what is what does half a gym look like, if you don't mind? It's on average. So if you understood okay. how to do averages, like yesterday okay. when I was explaining to you about your golf handicap. Yeah, you make it sound so simple. I don't know. I'm just, math is. is not for me. Not so not for me. let's say for every two weeks, 
I might get to the gym three times. That's an average one and a half times a week. I don't. I thought get... you'd go in and do like your right arm would do all the exercises and your left arm would do nothing. I, I just go in and sit in the locker room and get <laughs> yeah. <from> the house. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot <laughs> of people do that. <laughs> the weights is uh, totally unnecessary. Uh, yeah, I've had I had a good you know we're later in the week than we normally are, but yeah, the weather has been absolutely amazing. I absolutely love this weather. I don't anyone who argues against this, we, we should get a summer. Of this, I you're not my friend. I don't want to be your friend. Uh, I want this for six months of the year. I would take this, and then the rest of it can be whatever. I don't care. Like Sam, how good was golf today? Even it was so oh, pleasant. It's such a nice thing to just be walking around outside in the hot weather, chatting, uh, playing a bit of golf, doing something. Even today in school, like the the uh, boys are in the county final tomorrow, so they were going out for training. So I just took the girls out to play. Uh, Hoop ball. I don't know if you had a version of this when you were in primary school. Most primary schools have some sort of equivalent. It's kind of like netball, but one of the people is in. I make them stand in a hula hoop, and to score a point, you have to throw the ball to that person. They can't leave the hoop. Uh, there's bench ball, chair ball, net ball. They're all similar enough in there. You can't run without with the ball in hand. You can run without it. Uh, it's a really good PE game, and the kids get involved with it because there's no running with the ball. It, it stops the athletic kids absolutely dominate and they have to stand still and look for passes and stuff so played a bit of that for the last half an hour 45 minutes of the day but then when i got home i was so beat from being out in the sun i was like jesus christ yeah it's like you love it it's so good to just be outside uh but it's the type of thing that i can justifiably say that i'd be in bed now by 10 this evening because the weather is that warm I, and that to me is actually a better day just not staying oh yeah bed. yeah it just makes you want to go out and do stuff um, and again when I become Taoiseach and that will happen um, I think anything over 22 degrees I think work becomes optional so you can go in if you want but it's not mandatory anything over 12 degrees t-shirts become opt- optional oh I would say anything over anything over 14 degrees you have to wear shorts that's uh, again it depends on how good your calves are uh, so for the likes of me it would be all year round because I've got a great set of calves West you know that you back that up right you back that up yeah, I mean, they're, they're, I've heard they've been getting pretty tight though. That's what I've heard. I heard they're they look good, but they don't function great. I've started. I'm trying to run a bit. I want to do a 5k Westy by the end of the summer, and I did a first run, and my calves just didn't want to know about it. So I text my friend, who's like a P- PT. He's like, "Oh, how long are you stretching your calves for?" And I was like, "Ah, oh, like 30 seconds, you know, like growing up playing GA. That's all you did." He's like, "Yeah, you probably need to do that like two to three minutes like at a time." And I was like, "Ah, oh, okay, makes sense." But I went this evening better, more loose. We're not fast, we're not fit, but we're getting there, and that's all that matters. But look at we digress. Uh, let us, first of all, touch on the victorious, the URC champions, our new overlords. It is Munster Rugby. They went and did the impossible, and they bet Stormers at home, 19 points to 14, uh, and they are URC champions. And I want to say, I genuinely, all joking aside, massive congratulations to Munster uh, on that win. Uh, it was a fantastic win. They played all the rugby Stormers didn't deserve it. Munster did everything that they should have done and did it well. Played some nice rugby in patches uh, and they came out on top, deservedly so. I thought for a while there, Stormers might just nick it at the end, but Munster, Munster were well worth the victory. Um, and like Westy, I think when we look back in a couple of years and we realise from, say, like February on, the run that Munster went on, like being away for the last six games of the season, beating Leinster in the Dublin, beating Stormers away in a final. It's It should go down, and it will go down, I hope, as one of the all-time runs in URC rugby, because that's, that's so impressive. Yeah, I mean, we were kind of busy 
patting ourselves on the back for the run that Connacht went on just because it was so, um, well, yeah, so unexpected um, in, in a way. Um, and again, I think what what all, what held us back from Munster was, I suppose, some of the losses, you know, obviously our, our losses were bad at the start of the season, but we were like, oh, we were away in South Africa, we were against Leinster, we were, you know, that's a more difficult start, uh, games on paper. You know, Munster with losses to the Dragons and... Um, and, you know, barely scraping by against Zebra in Tomond, um, kind of set a low expectation for the season. We all understood it was going to be a rebuilding season. Um, it it didn't look like, it looked like their game plan was a, a fair bit away from coming together. I think one of the things that stalled us from really getting behind them, if that's the right way of saying it, was, um, you know, the losses, the loss in the Heineken Cup to Sharks away, um, pretty pretty all-encompassing loss there, and, and the loss to Glasgow as well. So, um I think, I think whereas we had kind of a, a more progressive second half of the season, Munster seemed to still have these setbacks. So, um, but you know, in hindsight, it is maybe those losses that really set them up for that really strong run in the last couple of games. Obviously, beating Stormers in South Africa, getting the draw against Sharks in South Africa, uh, which obviously we would die for the time because it meant that we got through to the, to the knockouts. You know, um, it's been tough for Munster because I mean there was times after that loss to. Glasgow, where people were saying they won't even qualify for the Hiding Cup next year, and what a what a horrific season that would have been for Munster. But no, I think they they took their lumps, they trusted their game plan, um, and yeah, I mean, what an amazing what was it four, three, four, five weeks on the road playing away all the the hardest fixtures you could think of getting there. Glasgow, who had hockeyed them two three weeks before, they get the win. Uh, going to the Aviva Stadium to play Leinster, which has not been a happy hunting grounds for them for the last couple of years, and then off to South Africa on the worst pitch in the world. And you know, they, they arguably should have had five tries by half time. You know, like I, I don't necessarily think that uh, I, I do think I, I do probably think Gavin Coombs deserved that try. I don't really think that was double movement, but you know, it, those let's say arguably perhaps they could have been 50-50 decisions didn't go their way in the first half and they still managed to get three tries over the line so um, it's an absolute testament to the to the work rate of the players and the dog and the soft them um, and to the new coaches even the coach who came in you know I think is it Mike Prendergast or Slaney has been like even we didn't think that we'd have this success so quickly and you know now it's up to them to to build on that success because um Munster have always been a team that really, really, um, well, you know, since the early noughties, uh, have valued Europe so much. And that now, I think, they will look to make that more of a stable hunting grounds for them. Sam, Graham Roundtree deserves a ton of credit for this because it's, it's you can kind of quickly forget how bad Munster, the kind of vibe and the atmosphere around Munster was under Van Gran, how dour and dark it was. And Van Gran wasn't giving the youth a chance. We saw that he was sticking with kind of some of the senior players that weren't playing very well. Roundtree comes in, and then you see suddenly see the emergence of a Jack Crowdy. You see Gavin Coombs taking a step. You see Hodnett coming in and being the, the you know man of the match in, in a final. Talk about what you think of first of all of Roundtree and how important he's been. Do you think to to Munster? I think Roundtree's breath of fresh air for them. I as you know, it, it's hard from us from a kind of point of view to look on and to admire their coaches or their 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 people. But I think he's such a good bloke. He comes across really well in every interview. I have no doubt that his man management skill is his 100% because you hear the feedback from players. You saw it late on in last season when it was finally announced, having interviewed a lot longer in advance, uh, it was finally announced that he would become the head coach. People were overjoyed with it. So it was a great appointment from them. And it looked maybe like it was kind of hitting a couple of stumbling blocks. He People were 
rightfully questioning whether or not it he had the experience after the first couple of games. But I think sticking to it, going with the game plan that he's implemented uh, or tried to implement, and it came, it came good quite quickly for him, was the best thing for them. I think if you look at some of the commentators online, some monster fans maybe at the start were a little bit uneasy about how slow it had been and they kind of gone like we gone from van gran it was all doom and gloom we expected an immediate bounce and i actually think if you look at it from an objective point of view no it was never going to be an immediate bounce but they had some moments there that gave everyone a bit of hope and then there was a catalyst moment and i believe that catalyst moment was that win against the south africa a team uh, that just everyone rose to it and stuff started to click and all of that hard work and that really intense training that we'd heard about all started to kind of show its fruition. And there was a couple of younger lads that had big parts in that. And there was a changing of the guard and it allowed Roundtree to justifiably take people who were out of form and move them off the team and start players that were on form, even though they weren't the big name. And all of those things stood to him going through to the end of the season. There was a real belief about it. And there was much more of a, a backs against the wall, us being monster against the world sort of vibe about them after that first few weeks where they were finding their feet. So we looked on from a kind of point of view at the time and thought that if they're finding their feet, this is our chance to jump them for a year or two and to try and maybe sneak into the uh, Champions Cup ahead of them. They went on an unholy run since then. They found form. There was a couple of games, like Westy said, that you know they were they were below par. But that's to that's to happen with a new coaching ticket. But the belief was there from the roundabout that South Africa game and everything started to throw through. And once it works once for you, it's like me and you were talking about in golf. Once you birdie or you par a, a hole, suddenly all the hoodoo around that hole is gone. And it was with them, I think, that that kind of that match really made it obvious to the team that they, if they bought into what they were being told, it was going to work. And it worked on that night. The crowd got behind them. They all fought for each other. And since then, they have been going and doing it. And even when it wasn't working, not reverting to type the next week, going back and doing it. So I think a lot of praise has to be given to Roundtree because he could have easily shied away, been conservative with his changing of what happened from last year. But he went quite wholesale in his philosophy change. The coaching ticket that came in, Prendergast, is, he has done wonders with them. They've gone from being a horrible team to watch to being a really enjoyable team to watch in terms of the style of rugby that they play and the belief that they have. So I actually think, yeah, uh, Roundtree, it was maybe not a risky appointment, but, you know, there was definitely, there was a big sliding doors moment there for Munster in which they had to appoint the successor to Van Graan properly. It had to work for them because with the couple of years that they'd had under Van Graan where the rugby was fairly putrid and the attitude was even worse, amongst fans, amongst some players, amongst style of play. They needed something to change. And the fact that Roundtree has worked out so quickly will stand to them in the long run because the last thing they needed was a slow, slow start where they they limped over the line or fell out of the Champions Cup and made it harder to sign players, made it harder to keep players, made it harder to get the fans on side, get bums on the seats, all of those things. So it's a, a huge performance, a huge season for them. And it was all, I think it all stems from that Roundtree implementing that new style of system and also that new attitude. Yeah, I think um, Sam mentioned it there. Um, that's the key difference this year. You know, like two years ago, we saw them go to cast with, uh, was it cast or was it Wasps, with a really young team Wasps. and get the win, Wasps. And then the following week, those players aren't picked again uh, by Van Grant. Whereas here we saw, you know, them play South Africa while they had their internationals away with Ireland. 
Uh, and a lot of those younger, more inexperienced players are retained. Roundtree had the courage to retain them and to pick his team on form and not be dictated by this guy plays for Ireland, that guy plays for Ireland. Um, so I think that, that was the key difference in the coaches. And that seems to be the key difference in the squad is that they're trusting, you know, Crowley is the perfect example, as Sam said, like, but they're trusting these younger players to come through and, and perform uh, and to back up the performance the following week. Yeah. So, I mean, let's talk about the the kind of possibly cruel irony of some of this like like Ben Healy who you know we like to poke fun of here on, on the show well I like to poke fun of but like you know if he hadn't decided to, to leave a few months ago and with with the fall of Joey Carberry months would probably be very much looking to keep Ben Healy like well they always said they tried to keep him but they'd be trying to keep him a lot harder I think now seeing how well that axis of him and Crowley in the last 20 minutes of games you know having that dual kind of playmaker there the likes of would Fekatoa leave uh, if if contracts were done the, the last two weeks? Like Westy, I don't know. It's like, but obviously, speak about that, and then also how scary will Munster be next season, especially coming from a Connacht point of view? Um. Yeah. Well, I, I press it for me. Fekatoa was my man of the match. I thought he was absolutely ever. I thought he he hit everything that moved, and he, he drove players back. I thought the work rate out of him was was unreal. It's nothing against Hablet. I thought Hablet was class as well. Um, but you know, just for me, I thought Fekatoa, we've said it kind of since Christmas, he just seems to have gotten better and better every week for them. Um, so I think if, if they could go back, but like by all accounts, he, he was in for more than one year that they, they released him from his contract, Trezo picked him up. I think if they could go back, they'd keep him. Um, I think they'd be silly not to really. Um, but yeah, like the likes of Ben Healy, I think. I think the Ben Healy thing is a little bit more. Well, maybe maybe it cuts both ways. I think Ben Healy is is a man freed, really. Like he's not really too worried about competing with other tens. He knows he's going abroad. He's had a spell in a in a Scotland camp, which I think is really stuck to him or stuck to him. I think he's I think he's come back from that um, from that camp, and he's he's more confident. He is a kind of a, a slightly more sleeker style of play. Like before, we just see him as this massive boot. Um, but he's a little bit more confident in the center, uh, in the center, well, at ten, but in the center of the park for, for Munster. Um, so yeah, I, I think looking back, it'd be great to keep him. But I think it's 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 like we always say it. You know, we see fans giving out like, how could you let him leave? It's like, well, he's he's a free man. Like he's been given a chance to play for Scotland. Like if he takes the job in Edinburgh or in Glasgow, rather, I think, um, you know, he's going to take that. So I, I don't think it's a matter of. Also, could have done a lot more to to, to keep him. Um, Fekito, I think, is a little bit different. Um, maybe they would. I think they would have been better positioned to to, to try and keep him. Was as far as I understand that it, they were happy to let him release him from his contract. Um, from a Connacht perspective, yeah, it, like it, like it's it's not the finished article, right? Like it's not fair to sit here and say like, oh, like Munster are now going to steamroll every team next season and they're going to walk through the league and they're going to walk. Through. No, it won't be that case. But what we will hope to see is them push on from where they are now and have, have another strong season and slight improvements. Um, you know, we, we've beaten Munster this year. It's the same team, the same group of lads. I don't think a team like Connacht should overly fear them. You know, in, in the sports ground, we, sh- we should be confident to take on uh, whoever. But, yeah, it, it, it to see how quickly they adapted and how uh, just the fluidity at which they played, just the difference, I suppose, in their gameplay now than it was six months ago. Um, yeah, it, it's... It's worrying. It, it, I think it just shows, I mean, they're, they're a historic club for a reason. There's a reason teams like Munster get picked to play South Africa A or getting, they're getting a fixture against the Barbarians now, I think, just before the World Cup kicks off. Um, so, yeah, it kind of just adds to the um, 
or, you know, it kind of reestablishes them on the world stage as a kind of as a brand and as a club. Um, again, on game day, I don't, I don't fear them too much from a cock perspective, but um, yeah, it's definitely the days of us cracking jokes about, you know, us going above Munster in the pecking order of Irish rugby, I think, is, is out the window now. Yeah, on that though, I think you make some good points, but I think Connacht, again, I would hope Connacht would look at that Munster Wayne Lee and be like, hey, look at with a bit of mental toughness and with a bit of grit, what's possible? Do you know what I mean? Like, like Connacht, you said, Connacht bet Munster this year and then the second game they lost, but, you know, they, they were only, what, a couple of points behind them in the league uh, and then you go on a bit of a run and anything is possible. I think Connacht have to look at that as a as an inspiring way of looking at it rather than anything else, but... Um, yeah, look, congratulations to Munster. Absolutely deserved it. Sam, well, quickly, before we get stuck into Connacht, we have an Irish squad. The summer squad was announced. Uh, I can't remember. Was it 42 players? Um, we have uh, four... Uh, sorry, three... No, sorry. We have four uncapped players. We have Kieran Frawley, we have Calvin Nash, Jamie Osborne, and Tom Stewart uh, coming in. And no other real surprises, really, um, in, from what we expected. Now, obviously... You know, the, 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 there's a few Munster fans who think that's just because you know they won the league. There should be a lot more. John Klein's the big one. I think we were talking about this in our podcast, you know, or on our WhatsApp group. Klein is definitely good enough, I think, to be on a squad like that. The question is whether Farrell is going to bring someone that he, I'm sure he's worked with before, but not at that level into a squad in such an important position. Only a few months out from a World Cup, I think that's probably what went went against them. Yeah, I, I, I still personally, I've been saying for about a year now, whereas I think that John Klein or John Klein, sorry, his pronunciation uh, should be in there probably personally ahead of Joe McCarthy. I think Joe McCarthy's got a big future, athletic freak, but I think that John Klein brings something to us that we don't have right now in spades. Ian Anderson's probably kind of your closest, like, like I think John Klein brings it a bit better. He's played a phenomenal amount of rugby at a really high standard for Munster this year. He makes them take in a lot of ways that got them over the line. Uh, this year he's a very good ball player and I think he is just tired and feathered a little bit by the last World Cup and that's probably it's just a little bit too late for him uh, too little too late for him which is it's a uh, a harsh one to take because I think that he would be very beneficial for Connacht or for, for Ireland I think he'd be very beneficial for Connacht but that'll never happen but uh, for Ireland if he was in that squad maybe ahead of a Joe McCarthy uh, and then the other one's Kilcoyne ahead of Lachman I actually I, I think that's a big call I think Lachman probably deserves his place uh, and Kilcoyne maybe gets in there just because of the history and knowing what he can do and what he can bring when needs be. Uh, but outside of that, you know, Carberry being left out and Frawley being in again, he's not played too much 10. He didn't come off the bench when Leinster could have used a change up at 10. So it's it's an indictment of how Leinster see him. They play him in other positions ahead of 10. That's uh, that's the majority of the surprises. I don't think there was ever going to be too many bolters. I thought maybe in this training squad there might be one or two brought in for the experience and also because they're probably be at home waiting for a call. But, you know, you're talking 10, 10 or so lads not going from this group of 42 plus one or two maybe injuries. That's 10 or two, 10 or so like sitting at home. Like realistically, as Connick fans are probably looking at Blade sitting at home waiting for a call. Uh, the other three, I think, are ahead of him. Uh, and the same can you know, might go for Frawley as well, like he's unless he's seen as a centre. But there was never going to be too many surprises. There's a couple of omissions that, you know, are understandable because of form, the likes of Balakoon, you know, he's not really gotten going in the Ulster setup this year. He's the best player against Connacht, but that's about the extent of it this season. You know, he's he's been good, but not his, his flying self. And then the Klein and Lachman omissions, I think, are are pretty big ones. 
outside of that, you have to just trust everything that Andy Farrell does at the moment. I think he's earned the right to pick whoever the fuck he wants, to be perfectly honest. Uh, that's that's kind of where I keep coming back. Like, I'm looking through the Twitter comments here, and it's just like, what about this guy? What about this guy? Like, Oh, Farrell definitely knows more than us, but I don't think you can discredit the... There is allowed, you're allowed to have discourse around these things and you're allowed to discuss players that you think maybe should have gotten in. Yeah, I think if you're having that argument, I'm open, I'm open to discourse now, as you said, but don't just say someone should be in the squad. Give me who they're... they're who are you taking out then? Do you know what I mean? If, if you're going to have that discussion, you can't just say like, oh, this guy over... You can't just say, oh, why is Balakun not in the squad? Okay, well, who are you taking out? Again, I'm open to discourse. Like, you can't really... I, I totally agree with you on Keith Earls, but people get very sensitive over Keith Earls. Uh, and I understand that part of it too, but like, yeah, like Keith Earls, you're not bringing him for his on-field stuff. I don't think anyone would argue that. I think Sam, you're right, and there's definitely a place for that. We thought Omani was getting to that stage like last year, and he's totally turned that around, and now he is massive on-the-field contributor. But lads like that in the changing room, lads like that on the side of pitches, and in during the weeks in between games, I've no doubt Keith Earls probably brings a lot, an awful lot to that locker room or that changing room, and I'm okay with that. And I've um, said it, but you can be guaranteed Keith Rose walks in the first try against Tonga. So, like, that's it shows what I know. Like, that's yeah, against Tonga, he's not doing it against France in the World Cup quarterfinal. That's you know. yeah, but it's important when when you're looking at it. Like, if you look at the running games that Ireland have, right, Romania, Tonga, South Africa, like that is going to require heavy rotation because we like Tonga will do damage. Like, even if it look, they have the potential to overturn us. Of course, they do. But even if it's not on the scoreboard, it'll be damage on the body. So you need replacement leaders. You know, you guys say like, you know, about having them in the squad and, and what they can offer. Now, look, it may well be the case. We're going to see 10 players cut by the time we go to the World Cup. So it may well be the case that Earls doesn't go. But someone like Earls, who's had, you know, a long time in Ireland squads, would bring value in a game like that where we're probably not going to start Sexton. We're probably not going to start uh, Van der Fleer or Dar- A lot of the big big names will be missing because we won't want them injured for a Stafford game. And you'll need someone, if it is a more inexperienced squad, you'll need someone like Earls um, to to help pick up the kind of less experienced guys. And as well, on just what you guys are saying about, you know, people's favourite players not been uh, included. I mean, we're, we're comic fans. We're used to this, you know? Like, it's this is how we feel every year. But I mean, well, of see, all the times... Did John Klein have a much better season than Niall Murray? Well, he did win the league. Yeah, <laughs> but, well, he yeah, was on maybe. a team that won the league. Yeah. But Niall Murray had a fantastic, exceptional season. Conor Oliver was absolutely yeah. astounding. It, they just can't. Uh, there's yeah, only well, so many spots. Yeah, well, I'm right there with you. Like, I think Oliver, uh, you know, well, like Oliver, well, Hodnett maybe a little bit more so then again. But like, uh, it's people like Oliver, like, they're both there, thereabouts, but it's such a difficult position. Someone like Murray, I think for him as a player, it would be so valuable if he got, even if he was only in these few weeks and then was dropped because he probably wouldn't go to the World Cup. But my point is, of all the times for you to be annoyed that such and such didn't get a squad, you know, two months out from a World Cup, three months out from a World Cup is not the time. This squad's been picked since March, lads. Like, it's only a couple of players who got, like, moved in and out. And again, as we say, a lot of people are one pulled hamstring in training away from being in that squad. Like, it, it, that squad will change. Between now in the World Cup, I guarantee you, you know, There'll be somebody else added and somebody else removed from that squad before we whittle down to 32 players. The 32 players, I think. Yeah, I think, look, at, at the end of the day, I think you're right, yeah. Next year, would there be a, probably a lot more open discourse about who should be in or not because you're starting a whole new cycle again. Uh, kind of well, some of the older lads will be moving on and whatnot. But, um, yeah, you're right. You have to just, as Sam said, we just have to trust in Farrah at this stage. He's, des- he's earned that. He deserves that. 
We have no reason not to believe in that, so let's just stick with it in that sense. Quickly on the on the the cock guys, obviously Bundy, uh, Finley, and Mac are obviously the dead certs. Uh, I think Blade and Prendo, I think will be probably cut from that first ten. I would imagine, but very much on standby. I think ready to I, go. I think Prendo has a chance because he is versatile. He's played a bit of eight, and Farrell has played a match in second row as well. So I think he does have a chance because you need versatility and you need games. You need, like Wesley said, for those heavy rotation games. Not resting everyone, as evidence with uh, Leinster, because you don't want to feck yourselves in the next game. But uh, there will be heavy rotation. So I think Prendo actually does have a chance. It is just it's going to be quite cutthroat for getting that in that 10. But I think those 10 lads will be on strict instruction to stay near the high-performance centre, probably working with some coaches on the ground, stay keeping fit, up-to-date, uh, all of those things. Because, yeah, you could be playing... I think it's, there's a 24-hour or 36-hour window so that you can't just pull people straight away and bring them over. Just That's uh, only fair to the teams that are traveling further. But yeah, you could be playing in two days if you get the call. So the lads will be kept on it. Uh, Nile Murray is well and truly on holidays, so he knows he's, he's a bit further away, I think. I think some of the lads that are closer might be staying a little bit fitter. Yeah, it probably is. If you're in that kind of... Uh, you know, if you're the likes of Prendo or Blade, you're kind of like, oh... I'd love to go on a holiday, but I can't. I kind of have to kind of hang around a little bit, you know. Remember, Mac Mac Hansen put on Instagram last year when he got called up into the New Zealand team. He started selling tickets for festivals all around Europe. Yeah, he was supposed to go traveling. Festivals. Yeah, he told told us. Yeah, I know it was unreal. Uh, but yeah, look, the Irish squads announced as always. There's plenty of debate, but look, let's just get excited that there's a summer training squad announced before World Cup. We're getting we're getting there, lads, slowly but surely. Uh, but yeah, look, at we spent half an hour talking about non-conic stuff so let's get into the season review uh, i sent these lads on a couple of kind of topics we're going to start with the recap of the your season itself kind of the slow start difficult start all the way up to that incredible finish and yeah westy let's get stuck in uh let's let's revisit those first five games uh where we were in the depths of despair a lot of the times uh this was a run of games we had in the first five games away to ulster away to the stormers away to the bulls home to munster and then away to leinster so we had basically four of the last semi-finalists plus munster um and we start off with a pretty disappointing 36 10 defeat to ulster pretty disappointing 38 15 defeat to stormers uh pretty disappointing 28 14 defeat to uh the bulls uh and then finally thankfully we beat uh, a pretty lackluster monster let's just say back in cut but look at you know we were saying at the time the pitch was being built we had to go away for those first few games it was against absolutely stellar competition we weren't expecting a lot of results but we weren't happy with the performances either is that fair to say um yeah i think we're obviously i think particularly the ulster game i think we were all fairly kind of left wanting by the manner in which we started the season uh it wasn't, if I'm remembering it right, like it wasn't ever really a game that we thought was in the balance. Uh, we didn't really seem, uh, we didn't really see, I don't want to say we didn't really seem up for it, but we didn't really seem uh, to be kind of creating attacks and have that kind of same dynamic attack that kind of, kind of were well known for a couple of seasons ago. So um, the, the trip right to South Africa, we always knew it would be a different kettle of fish. And then there's obviously the, the card and the Stormers game where, uh, again, it's what we you know we call it kind of a fourteen point swing because if if we're not called back for that penalty, we would try on the post and then we kind of I think we conceded pretty quickly after Bundy went off. Um, so yeah, it, it was a manner in which we were losing the games. Even you know, look, okay, 
beating Munster, and especially now because they're getting even, but the game was closer than it should have been. We should have had that game cleared off well before the end, you know, and we were we were a bit stop-start, we were a bit lacklustre in our performances, uh, and I think it created nerves, and, you know, Sam, I think, was the voice of reason saying, no, the second half of the season is easier, like it, like we will grow into ourselves, Um but you can definitely see why it wasn't just the fact that, oh, we've lost to these these teams, you know, uh, all of whom were in the final eight in the end, you know, uh, were in the quarterfinals. Um, it was the manner in which we were playing didn't leave a lot to be desired. And, and, you know, not quite in the, you know, in the Munster way where they were changing their system completely and it was taking time to bet in and people were saying they couldn't see where it was going. Like they said with Ireland back in 2020 before the shape took place and we got this brilliantly dynamic attack. Um, yeah, and then obviously the, the 10 nil to Leinster in the sports ground where we did so much right for so long and just got nothing from it. Um, yeah, I think you're right. It, it was the manner in which we lost those games uh, and not so much the actual losses themselves. Yeah, and uh, Sam, we, we started to get a few more victories. we you know beaten Scarlets, beaten Ospreys. We lose the Munster, we beat Benetton, we lose the Ulster then at Christmas time. We were seeing the kind of frustrating Connacht of last season where it was kind of one step forward, two steps back. That Ulster defeat, we've spoken about this many a time on this podcast. It was the most frustrating probably loss along with that 10-0 loss to Leinster because it was points that were there for the taking, especially that Ulster game. Ulster were terrible that game and Connacht just couldn't string anything together. We were starting to fear at that stage as well that with the mental weakness that we saw, the mental errors that we were seeing the last year was still very much in Connacht's game and for it to turn around we needed to eradicate that. Yeah, we had seen at the time a bit of a regression in attack from last season. We had seen a definite improvement in defensive structures, the way that we were defending, the way that we played in that stage throughout the season. But the attack looked very stock. It looked very telegraph. It looked very readable. Defences didn't seem to be struggling with it. Uh, and that was quite a kick in the backside. We were kind of worried that it wasn't going to kick on and that we had changed too much and we had tried to shore it up and that we had lost what was, in essence, the, the enjoyable thing about the season before. And it happened late the season before as well. Teams had kind of got our number. Then there was a moment that the coaches all referenced where they changed and they said, look, we're trying to implement something that's not working. And they went a little bit more simplistic with it, but a little, a lot more effective. It went from, like you said, week in, week out, us questioning their mental fortitude, us questioning their ability to kind of see out games or a lack of leadership to a winnable run. But a winnable run is only a winnable run beforehand. You have to win the games. So it was those couple of games there where there was more green shoots happening, more for us to clutch on to, but it wasn't consistent enough. You know, we were beating Benetton at home, letting in a few tries that we shouldn't have let in. Even though we were winning, we were still going, oh, that's not good enough. You know, there was a brief away game where we played very well, but they still scored 24 points. They had no right to be in that game. Then there was the Ulster game where we went into an Ulster game, actually tipped to win it. Didn't play well, but neither did they. And they put a huge score on us and it was a very late flurry that allowed us to get back to make a respectable 22-20 could have been 22 all at the end of it but it was it was an underperformance after that you got Leinster and you just ruled that out but it was yeah it was a bit of a period of time where we kind of went this is this is make or break for the season we have a run of games we need to sort it the fuck out before you go into the run of games because we cannot afford to win two, lose two for the rest of the season. It needs to be win, 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 maybe a loss, win, 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 maybe a loss. We had to get more solid from our results. And I think that the 
the coaches reference a change in tactics are not a reverting but a changing away from something they were trying to implement that wasn't working a change in maybe structures behind the scene i don't know the personnel but definitely a change in the way that they played and the attack started to fire and i saw stats and i can't remember them offhand so i don't want to misquote them but it was like our first couple of matches versus our last couple of matches in terms of our ability to convert possession into scores and it was chalk and cheese and that is the difference that was what you said in that kind of middle or that that second quarter of the season that round six through 11 or so that was a that was very worrying going into the back end of the season because i had said like westy or reference i had said that the back end of the season January onwards, all winnable games, all games you could put your money on Connacht for, but you needed to get form going into that. You couldn't go into that with any sort of mental fragility. Uh, and they managed to sort something, thank God. But uh, at the time, yeah, that, that Ulster game was depressing, especially the time of year. You'd love the bounce going into the new year. The Breve game, even though we won it, we didn't come away with it overly confident after because we let them back into it a little bit. And the same with like that Benetton game, which I was at and my daughter was at and it was great, good few tries. Benetton never should have got 19 points in that game. So, you know, and the the old the Munster away, it would have been beautiful to do the double over Munster, but Munster started to gain like a rolling stone, they started to gain a little mass, and they they managed to uh they managed to really kick on from that point onward. So a couple of wins to start the fire, but it wasn't at that point where this this run really happened. That was post-Christmas sort of thing. Yeah, round 12 was really when the season sort of finally kicked in. We had two home games against South African teams, Sharks and Lions, and they were both pretty pretty comfortable wins in the end. Um, we went then away. We, we really were, I remember at the time, we were sort of apprehensive. Away to Zebra and away to Dragons were two real potential banana skins, banana peels for, for Connacht and games that in previous seasons. You're like, oh, how did we end up losing to Dragons? Now, we only bet them by two points, but it still, it was a win, it was a win. And you started to see then there was a bit of momentum. It's amazing what a bit of momentum will do because Connacht went on to win basically the next two as well. So they won six straight, which is incredible for for a Connacht team. Um, eventually losing then to, in, in the last round to Glasgow, but it was a spirited spirited uh, performance. Wesley, I want to talk about Connacht's uh, home record this year. Um, can you guess the top of your head how many games did Connacht lose at home this year? Correct, it was two. It was against Ulster and Leinster all in that first half of the season. So, like, again, you, you sit there and you look at those two games thinking, God, they could have also been wins. But Connacht, with a new pitch, which is even more impressive how quickly they adapted to that kind of new surface, they finally made sports ground into a real sort of a tough place to come and get a result, which is what a team like Connacht definitely need to do. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, they're, um, you have to kind of make concessions where it's where it's um where it's likely but one of the things we can control is it's it's our home pitch it's our home fans and you know making our our home pitches a fortress should always be a priority and as you said it like you can argue this point but arguably that draw is the easier home fixtures as well so it's a good run to kind of to use the home matches as a springboard to as as sam said uh, as you said like get that momentum, use that momentum as a springboard to kind of bring a conference to your away game. So I think it, it's very much a case of sports like anything else. Like if if you're losing every week at home, it's going to be very hard to get in a plane and go to the, to Scotland or to go to Italy or to go to South Africa and, and get yourself up for the win. So I think the first point of call for any team is to start trying to establish their home stadium as a base, um, as, as a fortress, as, as, a, as a place where they win. Um, 
And as you said, there's, there was plenty of banana peels down the way. I mean, even the Edinburgh game, you know, we went to Edinburgh during the Six Nations last year and they thumped us. They put seven or eight tries on us. Um, the very same thing with, with Cardiff. Like, okay, you know, there's been no shortage of talk in the media about how Welsh rugby has had a difficult year. But, you know, Glasgow at home, Glasgow, anytime we play them, is, could go either way. Do you know, like we, we beat them two years ago, maybe three years ago in the sports ground, like 25 nil. And then we went to Cardiff the next year and got hammered. So it's just, it's one of those games that can really go either way for Connacht, I think. So I think those two wins were very important in keeping our conference high. And it leads into, as you said, look, a spirit of performance doesn't mean a lot, but I think when you're on the verge of getting through to the quarterfinals, keeping that positivity and that work rate and that spirit, as you say, in that Glasgow game, even though it doesn't go our way in the end, we have a chance to win that game at the end. But that gives us the confidence going away to somewhere like Ulster and saying, we can win, we can stay in these fights, we can put ourselves in a position where we can win the game. A huge moment in that run of fixtures as well was uh, a lot of disheartened people after the Dragons game, even though it was a win away, but it was because we... the looking at Zebra and looking at Z- Dragons, we were kind of going, get 10 points from those two games would be a really big opportunity for Connacht to kind of get a good springboard and good foothold into this run. So going the next week and having Edinburgh at home and getting a bonus point there where they left a bonus point in the Dragons game was huge, I think, because it was a mentality shift. It was like, okay, we're now going to start looking at blocks of games instead of instead of looking at like, oh, have to beat Dragons, have to get a bonus point. You start going two, two winning bonus points from three wins regardless of where the two winning bonus points is, it's still the same amount of points. So I thought that was a huge, a huge moment for this Connacht team, just to get in belief that it was like, you're not just going to pick up your winning bonus points against the, the, the fodder at the bottom. You know, you can get them if you keep playing against any team. And that was, I thought, massive for the season. Absolutely. When, again, we, we hark back to, I think, start of January, we had a 17% chance of making the playoffs. Um, and then we ended up, you know, clinching that pretty much with a game to play against that Glasgow uh, game, which was huge because, again, we knew going to Glasgow that was never going to be an easy result. The lads put in a fantastic performance and uh, a pretty pretty bad uh, mall call by the ref at the end kind of cost them a, a potential victory there too. Um, you probably look, actually better off though. Well, it definitely, think. yeah. I think it definitely <laughs> helped us. <laughs> going away uh, to storm. It was not ideal. Uh, but yeah, quarterfinal draw. We got Ulster. We were saying at the time, I know some of the Ulster fans weren't happy, but we were happy enough for the draw in terms of look, we were never going to be favourites no matter who we we pulled. But going up to Belfast to a team that Connacht have had some recent success against was always a better option than going all the way down to South Africa to play the Stormers, uh, as we would find out in in a round's time. But Westy, let's look back to uh, that quarterfinal. An incredible game, incredible performance. Talk about nerves and anxiety for that game and watching it to the end, of course. Connacht should have been 20 points clear in typical Connacht fashion. They're hanging on with five minutes to go. Uh, can you talk us about remembering that game and also just uh, the feelings you had at the final whistle? Yeah, it was a funny game looking back. And I think I was, when we talked about the podcast, I was still really kind of high off the back of it. But, you know, you think about the I still don't know the Jack Carty crossfield kick slash drop goal attempt. You're kind of thinking like, Jesus, what is the what's the game plan going into this? Like, is it just smash and grab any points you can? I mean, and we said like it, it is knockout rugby, and knockout rugby is about taking points when they come. But yeah, it's it. I think the game highlights both the 
best and the worst of Connacht season, really. Like, so you, you can't knock the guys for effort. Um, we had the spirit, we had the fight. Um, we definitely had had the ability to win. There was, I mean, there was always a little bit of a doubt in my mind because it's Connacht. You know, we famous. I always remember Jerry Toynley years ago. The article was Connacht uh, snatched defeat from the jaws of victory, which is always a. Uh, um, as I was stuck in my head, but um, yeah, I, yeah, they played, yeah, dominating possession, dominating kind of playing some beautiful rugby, um, but not able to capitalize on it. And that's kind of some of the stuff that we saw maybe against Stormers and Bulls in South Africa, where, and again, a lot of what we, what we saw maybe the week after, but we, we played some beautiful rugby with the ball, but just unable to convert that possession and that, that flare into points. You know, we, al- we almost let Ulster frustrate us out of a win, which is a very, you know, again, a very kind of, not to d- d- degrade ourselves or play the underdog card, but a very Connacht thing to happen. But no, I think what won that for us was probably what we'd been through all through the year, the cohesion of the squad, the fact that we have a lot of guys this year you know, we, we rotated a lot smarter this year. We, a lot of players used to playing with the lads inside them. Um, Jack was obviously on form 100% from the tee, I think, not including the drop goal or whatever it was in the end. Um, but yeah, a strange game to put in a, in a box for Connacht, you know, in that I still don't know really uh, what the game plan was going into it. But yeah, it, we won it. And, you know, if you were a neutral fan, you're like, oh, Connacht, Never in doubt. The kind of fans is always a little bit of doubt, maybe or a little bit of scar tissue, let's say, rather than a, rather than doubt. Um, but yeah, it just showed an absolute, you know, pride and and, and spirit to to stay in it and hold us throughout at the end and and get the away win at Raven Hill, which is really rare for us. Uh, it's absolutely. It was a fantastic game, fantastic even. Um, I know we were all annoyed that we couldn't go. Uh, we didn't go, should we say? Uh, then Sam semi final again. The kind of hope is there. Traveling down to Stormers far from easy, um, but there was hope there. There was belief there. There was still that momentum from what one game, one loss in eight games in a row, uh, and it was it wasn't even like a bad loss like the the from the start of the season. Go down to Stormers again, like Wes said, there was no fault of effort. I think it was just to come up against a better team that executed better on the day. Yeah. They did, but they capitalized on a couple of Connacht mistakes. Uh, and like I, I was really proud of the team. We got we fought ourselves back into it. We we went ahead, brilliant. We looked like we were going to nullify them. We looked like we were going to do what Munster did to them in the final, which was just not allow them to play their game at all. Then we did allow them into the game, and they really ran riot for a while. Then we fought back, and we were what was it five points down with five minutes to go or something, and then they got two tries, and it just kind of put the end of that. I think that, yeah, they were a better team on the day, but a lot of that was in we misfired on transition. I think against Ulster the week before, we misfired an attack, and that didn't really happen against the Stormers. It was an open game, and we managed to get our attack moving a, a good bit more. We managed to play quite well, and some lads had, had stellar games. Every single one of the team had stellar games. I was really impressed with them all. I think that you could look at that game the Connacht lads probably went back in if they did do a season review and a game review of that and went, that is one that they could have won if they really, you know, if, if things had gone well for them or things had gone right for them. But it was going to be a big ask. It was a week after a really hard interpro. It was a step or two beyond anything that we thought or we could have dreamed of, you know, five games into the season. Not Don't want to say, you know, it was just in bonus territory to be there, but realistically with 17% chance of getting into the knockout phases in January, it was pretty much bonus territory. The players won't see it that way. They will have always had belief. It was a good, I think, 
way to end the season in where we didn't win it, but we didn't to disgrace ourselves that a lot of players came out that with a lot of good capital and they will go into the the summer with some good mentality with some good belief in them that they can go toe to toe with the likes of the stormers who won it last year were in the final this year they can do that if needs be uh but there's still some work on so it's it it was not you know it's never ideal to lose but that was an ideal loss in terms of we didn't get absolutely hockeyed out the gate we went down storms we made a good show of ourselves a lot of south african fans were very complimentary of how well we were how good we were and how we put it up to them and how the the uh, scoreline definitely didn't reflect the game. So I I don't want to say that Stormers, you know, I don't want to say all beaten by a better team because we weren't beaten out the park by them. We did allow them to beat us in a manner, not the entire game, not the entire story of the game, but there was moments there where Connick should have probably been a little bit smarter and will be a little bit game smarter because of that loss and, you know, go into it with, but just more ideas uh, in the future. There was some unbelievable play by the likes of uh, a Libak or a, a Kitsaf or fucking what's the the fullback Williams. Uh, you know they they're they're such a hard team to play against in transition and at home they're they're always going to be really difficult. But yeah, I'm not I'm not going to say that it was completely beaten by the Stormers. We did beat ourselves a little bit in that, but I think it's, it's a game to be proud of and it's a moment in. Last time, I think will be a huge stepping stone for a lot of those players. You saw the emergence late on in the season of like the likes of a Hurley Langton. I think you build a team around those sort of players and those performances are going to stand to them. Yeah, absolutely. That kind of that's that finished our URC season. Uh, I want to touch on Challenge Cup before we kind of give our grades for the season. Uh, Challenge Cup started on December 10th. Uh, we on a Saturday Connacht uh, had a 22 points to 8 win over Newcastle. And then the following week, a way to breathe a thirty-one to twenty-four win. Um, that game was crazy. That brief game, uh, Connacht were just out of sight with nothing. To, you know, game was over. Breathe with nothing to play for. I think they, did they get a red card? I think Breathe had a red card. Yeah, big pop, yeah. big Papa, sure. Yeah. Uh, well, and then of course, should have had another one as well. Your man, yeah. the other one actually got the ban then. Yeah. Uh, and of course, Breve come back and nearly win the game and kind of hold on for a 31 points, 24 victory. Um, then we had uh, Breve at home, which was uh, an absolute hockey and 61 points to five. Uh, Breve didn't really send over much of a squad. Um, you know, not not too not too surprising there. Uh, but Sam, you're, you're looking at three wins from three in Challenge Cup. We then had to go away to Newcastle. A win would have pretty much guaranteed us. Um, potentially a home draw for for the whole way through to the final, which you know would have been fantastic. We we don't get the win over Newcastle. We lose thirty five points twenty one. Uh, Connacht fans kind of look at this kind of they're kind of split down the middle. They look at it. Some of it look at it as an absolute failure. This was one of the worst losses of the season. The lads needed to really show up, and they didn't. Um, whereas we kind of didn't look at it on like at that as as harshly as that. And a lot of people didn't look at it as harshly as that. There was some. Rotation done. Uh, not not necessarily the strongest team went over, but I don't know. How would you summarize that that Newcastle game at the end in particular? Was it was it a massive failure in your eyes? Was it just one of those things? I think you can say that it was a failure because the team that went over, regardless of how rotated it was, the team that went over was more than capable of beating Newcastle. When the team that went over played, you know they let Newcastle into an early lead and then came back and dominated for good periods of that game and. You know, they would have drawn level on 70 minutes except for an adjudged forward pass from Kyle Ford, which was maybe for very, very, very close if it was. But, you know, one of those ones where it's not a lack of skill, it's just a, an unfortunate 
situation that would have drawn them level and I think they would have gone on to win it at that point they let two in after that which you know takes away the uh the opportunity and then we we forfeit a bonus point which would have been enough to get a home uh quarter by not or by not retaining our ball after a line out in the end I think someone was a Adam Byrne pick and go and it just knocked on or something I can't remember the exact ins and outs so I haven't seen it by I haven't brought myself to watch it back but the team that was over there was good enough to win and didn't fire on the day. They played some good rugby in periods. Bealham got his hat trick and there was times when we looked like we dominated and looked like we could have gone on to win it, having given them an early lead and didn't. The bigger thing is the team that went over was rotated because before Bristol were hit with that points deduction, it looked like it was out of sight and there was going to be rotation. It was always going to be a hard pass. That changed the context of the entire game two days out from it, where you've been training for a week. You don't suddenly change what you've been training all week. You don't cut down the likes of a Riley and a Fitzgerald uh, and a Ford by saying, oh, you've been training all week, but now that Bristol have dropped some points, we can win this, so we're going to just take you out and we're going to change up an entire week's worth of training uh, and a entire year's worth of rotational planning because the context of the game changed. You just you give belief to the players that are there. Newcastle weren't a great team at the time. It was never going to be easy to win over in England, regardless of what English team you're playing against. Successfully, a team like Newcastle who can maul you to the cowsheds if they need to be. That being said, yeah, I'm disappointed because the team that was there didn't fire the shot at the time. It was the likes of a, a Adam Byrne, who now he's you know he's moving on from us, but that could have been his opportunity. Ralston didn't have his best game. There was a you know he was was it out after nine with an, an injury that put him out for a good while after that. You know, forward, big break, pass to Blade was a little bit forward. Uh, Riley was in, he's young. Butler, Oliver, Hurley Langton, Murphy, Fafida, Beelham, Delahunt, Buckley. That's a good enough team to win. I, like, I, there was a lot of revision to the story after the fact because they didn't get the win. It was too heavily rotated. It was a strong team that should have beaten Newcastle and didn't. So that's where the disappointment should be, not the picking of the team. And I don't like the narrative that came out after the fact that we threw it away by not picking our strongest team. You rotate your team and you pick a team that you think can win. And that team, I think, was good enough to win and should have won and didn't play its best. And that's where the disappointment lies for me. Yeah, I think that's a very fair reflection on it. Um, the you know the issue was in Westy, obviously, we didn't get that home draw. We got drawn away to Benetton um, and it ended up, I think, costing us big time. We lose 41 points to 19 in what was... Look, we've been very complimentary of some of the wins and performances this year. This was not a good performance. This was... A team that it looked like it had figured us out completely, especially defensively. They they seemed to have acres of space out wide. Uh, it looked like we were down to one or you know down to thirteen men at some stages with the gaps, uh, and it was just a bad bad day at the office for the Connacht players. Uh, what do you remember about this game? Yeah, I, I guess it's some of those, as you said, some of those old familiar feelings from the start of the season. Just didn't have the cohesion. Didn't have the. Um, didn't have any of the flair, didn't have any of the kind of, I don't want, don't want to say fight or passion, but like, we, we just didn't seem to have that that extra gear that we had had since, you know, even since, even when we're playing badly, or not badly, even when we're not playing our best against like so Ulster and Munster in uh, in the latter games, um, and then the second fixtures against against both players, where, again, I'm not knocking anybody for lack of trying, but it just didn't seem to have that kind of... Uh, I don't know, just the same drive that we had in the rest of the season. I just on the point that you guys said, I think I think we manage the group stages pretty well. I think we want to fight on both fronts. We pick teams that can fight on both fronts, but we were also using the Challenge Cup as a way of getting game time into more players and then getting other players up to speed. And I think look, for us, 
I think that's pretty valuable. And I think it speaks to the second half of the season when we are able to bring players in a little bit more seamlessly because they've had decent game time against quality opposition in the Challenge Cup um, earlier in the season. Um, I think that, look, at it, it ended up in a pretty tough run, a pretty tight run of fixtures as well that we had the, the Benetton game pop up in the middle of it. So, um, yeah, I just, I'm not sure. I, I think as well at that point... You know, the focus is very much on the league, and that's how it felt watching the game. It, it, you know, players, people can criticize the selection for the other groups' ages and say, "Oh, we didn't go out there wanting to win." Um, the only time I even had an inkling of that feeling was at brief moments during the Benetton game, where it just felt like Benetton wanted that game so much more than we did. Um, and I think, whilst that's not the end of the world in a in an isolated context, to say that the home team wanted the game more than we do. It's a worrying statistic when you think about the fact that we now have to go to Benetton again next year. Benetton are improving. Benetton are getting funding. They already get nearly twice the funding that we get. Um, it, it's going to make Treviso a, a tougher and tougher place to go. So I think that, I don't know, I, I think there has to be either some level of separation of that in a mindset going to next season because we kind of have to park that and leave it and, and, and really double down on our prep and our focus on them when we go there during the regular season. Yeah, absolutely. I think we'll finish we'll finish the review of the season with we'll give our kind of grades for the year. Um this includes URC and Europe just as, as a whole. I'll I'll start I'm gonna give it a B plus. I think it was a very, very good year. I think it would have been A's if it wasn't for the disappointment of how the challenge kind of run challenge cup run ended. That was the only thing that annoyed me just because yeah, like you know, if we had got to a semi final of that, there would have been a great buzz about it. There would have obviously been the financial implications of it for the club, which is always, you know, it's always a huge, huge thing. Um, but uh, you know, a B plus definitely for the URC was fantastic. Getting to a semi final, getting to the top eight, securing Champions Cup for next year, which has its own financial implications, which is fantastic. Um, how the team kind of responded to that first half of the season, how they pushed on, some of the emergence of the new talent we've seen, which we'll get to in a, in a little bit. I think a B plus, you know, just just underneath kind of an A A minus kind of area for me, I think is fair. Sam, what's your kind of grade for the season? Uh, it's funny now, like I'm usually the really positive one, but I actually was going to go with B minus uh, more because. I, I do, I agree with all the reasons you said, and that was why I would give a B, not a C, uh, and not quite an A. The reason I'm going with minus is because I do think that the slow start of the season was something that we need to work on. You know, managing the game against Stormers uh, in the semi-final. I know it's the semi-finals, context there. Uh, the, the Bundy red card and the subsequent eight-match ban, and then not seeing them for a couple of months, a uh, couple of moments like that, and then the Benetton game. I just think that, you know, I don't want to put it right up there with the A because I think that there is a level above. I think that this Connick team can push up to sixth fifth you know they can push on they can get past that storm or semi-final in future and i don't want to be given a, a b plus saying that it's, it's as close to an a as possible because i think that there is a, a good bit of work on they did work on those throughout the season and they'll continue they'll continue to work on them so you know if i'm marking tests in school and someone has you know the first four questions are wrong but all the next couple of questions are right they still get the mark for the overall they don't get the how well the end of the test was sort of mark so i do have to take into consideration you know the start of the season was slow disappointing loss against ulster at home you know maybe the the not getting a losing bonus point against leinster at home or even sneaking the win in that game because i don't think leinster were up to much in that game and the the monster away one we could have probably done a little bit better so there's there's a lot of room for improvement there that's why i just give it a little bit of a b minus 
as opposed to a B plus. But I think it was a stellar season, like a B is still a B in the end of the day. You, know, you give me a B in any leaving cert subject, I'm happy days. So uh, B minus, B plus, whatever it is, it's still a B and it's still it's still a great season. Bar outshone expectations, I think, in the in the grand scheme of things, a lot of people who were very negative about the coaching ticket have seemed to shut the hell up now in the last couple of weeks, which is great to see. Uh, you would have got good odds on Sam giving a worse grade than me uh, at the start of the season. Uh, Westy, on. <laughs> what about you? Um, yeah, I'm probably going to go right down the middle uh, with a B2. Um, Sam, they don't give Bs and leaves anymore. I think it's H's and O's now. Um, H's so it was a B2 and O's. We're too old. We're too old for that shit. Um, yeah, I think that, like, for the same reason Sam said, like, I think, yeah, it was a tough, look, it was a really, really hard start to the season, but those teams aren't going away. And they're going to get better. So it's it's not like we can write off those results. We have to look at them and figure out how we're going to improve on that next year, how we're going to go to South Africa. You know, last time we were in South Africa, or sorry, uh, two seasons ago we were in South Africa and we had the uh, Lions. Uh, we, we beat them. And we really need to replicate that now next season. Um, we'll have tough away fixtures against Edinburgh and Cardiff. We'll have Glasgow coming to town. Um, am I 100% convinced that these won't be banana peels for us. No, I think what we've done well is we turned the season around. We adapted our game plan. We pushed youth well, um, and we finished strong. And I think even that performance in the um, in the semi final is kind of a, a B three B two kind of level. It's we scored some brilliant tries, but our defense let us down. Our, our open field, as Sam said, the transitions let us down. Uh, and I do think those are areas, you know, our restarts set us down a lot all season, and that's been a problem for a while now. It's, now it, we seem to have gotten slightly better at it, but it's become, I've, I've heard people say now, the restart is is the third set piece. Like, you really have to have a strong sense of what you're going to do from your restarts and, and, and use them to build into a game. And that's a problem I'm not 100% sure is resolved. Um, I do love our ability to come up with new ways of fucking it up, though. Uh, kicking it straight into my own our own player was a, a highlight of the season. Um, but yeah, look, loads, loads of positives, loads of positives in terms of um, one of my main positives is that the, the core group of our starting team, let's say, is still there next year. Like you can pick a, a team like, like World Cup notwithstanding now, you know, because there will be changing. But if you were picking a team to start that first game, you could probably pick it now and you might not be too far off. One or two changes, injuries, depending on how people are training. So we've done really well in building consistency with our squad, which is something we were heavily criticized for last year. And we have... I don't think we've necessarily solved it, but we've gotten a lot better at it. As I said, we've pushed youth through the system. We've recruited some really interesting players. We've signed, uh, you know, somebody, we signed nine, um, Santiago Cordero, um, somebody who's, you know, beaten Ireland in World Cup quarter, uh, quarterfinals, got out to World Cup semi final. Uh, a lot of really good experience. We've got um, young players coming in. We've got uh, Henson coming in from uh, Leicester, isn't it? Or is it? Leicester, yeah. Um, and then we have the coaches. We've got Scott Fardy and Mull. I, I passed Mull in town yesterday. We sit outside Salthouse having a pint. Um, so it's great to see him back. So I think uh, I'd go above Sam because I think that uh, there's a great buzz around the squad after the last two years. It is a successful season. It is. I don't think you can go. I think if you're going lower than a C1, like you're you're very hard to please. You need to manage your expectations a little bit. But um, some brilliant performances, like beating the Ospreys, beating Scarlets, a, a clean sweep of the Welsh sides. I don't know when the last time we did that was. Um, and I just think it's, uh, whilst it's been really successful in that regard, as Sam said, you can't discount the shortcomings at the start of the season. And as, as I said before, like the league's not getting any easier. If anything's getting harder, like we're 
even South Africans are going to get further investment now. We are down, in terms of funding, we're down at the bottom with Zebra. Like that's our closest uh, matching budget as far as the reports go. So <laughs> we... Welsh Rugby Twitter will not appreciate you saying that. Oh, okay. Well, sorry. Yeah, with, with the changes in Welsh Rugby now, I don't know what exactly the figures are. But um, yeah, with the other teams improving in the league, we'll have to find new ways to combat this. And um, I don't think it'll always be a case that the South African teams will just lose on the road, you know, and that's not to take away from the really good performance we put in against them, but you can't guarantee every year that that's going to go your way. Um, so, yeah, I think it was a it was, it was a success for a year. Semi-final, it has to be a success, but I think there's still a lot to improve on. Yeah, I think they're they're all fair grades. Um, I still can't believe I'm the one to give the highest one. I would not have thought mm. that, but uh, yeah, we'll move on to our next topic, which obviously is Andy Friend. Um, he has left left us. He's left the building, um, and he will be dearly, dearly missed. Look, we've already gone through kind of massive depth what Friendy has meant to the club, um, what he's meant to us, obviously. Um, and uh, but I want we got I did ask for your questions. Hawkeye sidekick did tweet in. He said, first of all, super content throughout the season, lads. So thank you very much. We appreciate that. <clears throat> he said, Andy Friend here is in the books. What's his biggest accomplishment from the tenure? Um, I think that's a pretty good question. Uh, I know I'm kind of springing this on you, Sam. Uh, but what would you what would you say is Andy Friend's biggest accomplishment from the last five years? Uh, the old saying, "I leave the jersey in a better place than you got it." Uh, Andy Friend took over in a time of turmoil, a time a big time of transition, a failed experiment with Kieran Kane coming in uh, a year, two years after we won the Pro Twelve 2016. Pat Lamb. Announced he was leaving halfway through the next season. Bundyaki tweeted within minutes that he was pissed. Took that back. Kieran Keane came in. It was supposed to be a good acquisition, but he just did not seem to have the personal skills to, you know, to do what a Connacht coach needs to do. And that's what Pat Lamb had really done was bring the team to the entire province. And Keane seemed to kind of go against that. It didn't work. There was some good results under Keane, but it just in the end didn't work. And they got rid of him early on. Since then... Friendy's come in and he's had five non-losing seasons in the mix of COVID stoppages, rainbow cups, players moving on en masse. You know, there's I don't like the term deadwood. That's a really disgusting term for a group of people. But, you know, in terms of a squad, there was a huge overhaul of players. Some big, big names retired or moved on uh, or ran out of contract and haven't been signed with other teams or have moved to other teams. And that was huge for him. So, he managed to have five non-losing seasons, whereas in the past, before that, we only ever had two winning seasons in this Celtic League. And it was 2002-03, uh, which was kind of a two-league format with five wins, two losses in the, the group stage of that. And then 2016, in the year we won it. Other than that, we had never had winning season. And for, uh, he's managed to have two or five non-losing seasons with the most successful, which being his last one. He has brought through young coaches, the likes of Cully Tucker and Pete Wilkins, who were taking over from him. He has brought through a hape of Connacht born and bred youngsters, as well as other academy players who we brought in from the other provinces, but like Tierney Martin, the two Marais, Jennings, Riley Ford, Burke, the Butler, West is coming through next season. A couple of Connacht stalwarts, your mainstays in the starting team are also Connacht born and bred and some really, really astute signings. So I think that I think the best thing that he has done for Connacht is he has left Connacht in a better place and where he received the club. And um, we spoke to him, me and you, uh, Smurf. We had the privilege of you know chatting to him for a little bit there a couple of weeks ago and having a drink with him. 
And uh, one of the things he was so high on was Pete Wilkins. He said, like, he he's such time for him as a coach. And he says that, you know, Connacht are in the best hands with him. And I don't believe he was just saying that. I fully believe that he believes that and that he was endorsing Wilkins when he was asked by the interviewing committee uh, his thoughts on him. So that's where he has left it. And that's probably the legacy that he will leave is not just being a great man, but leaving Connacht in a better place. So it's, it's a phenomenal couple of years, considering being so far away from home, COVID had never planned on being there for longer than five years. Big changes after Pat Lamb. There was so much to battle against and he's managed to do it so well. Yeah, I think that's all. I, I totally agree with all of that. I think I would I would hint uh, maybe two things. I think the culture he built around the club, um, you know, how much he bought into the area, which he's already spoken about. And I think as well, like turning Connacht into an attractive place for players to come. Like when you think about some of the names that have have signed, like obviously they're they're signing because they're buying into Pete Wilkins and all that, but none of that comes without friendly. You know, like the likes of Mac, the likes of Porchy, none of them come without friendly, um, because he's that obviously you know he's an incredibly personal person. They, you know, I think Porchy often said like he you know he's a father figure to a lot a lot of players, um, which is huge when you're moving across you know the world, uh, to come over and live and play rugby. So. The likes of uh, Joe Joyce, the likes of Jansen now coming over. Friendly would have been on to them. Friendly, you know, sells the culture, sells what they've built here. Um, and I think that that has to be, uh, you know, noted as well. Uh, Westy, what's your kind of, you know, when you think back of the accomplishments, which are many from Friendly, what kind of sticks out to you that we haven't maybe mentioned? Um, yeah, it's tough. Like, there's a few games, I think my head beating Stad in the sports ground is pretty unreal. Um, beating Leinster in the RDS to two three years ago, um, that semi final or that quarter final against Ulster, um, is our memories that'll stick in my head. I mean, my highlight is, is probably us interviewing him a few years ago as well. Um, getting to know him. He said that that was uh, a highlight for him even, too. Uh, it was five years. Yeah, good. Yeah, I heard he was asking for him when you guys had those points with him. Um, yeah, I, I think. I think the, I think the impact, as Sam said, like you know, the, the winning season, the impact he's had on on the club as a whole. I think it goes beyond the pitch. Um, I think he's done a lot in kind of bringing local pride to Connacht. It's kind of following in the foundations that Pat Lamb led before of of reaching out to the community and getting getting people involved, um, get people to get behind the local teams. You know, like. Again, Pat Lamb had said it, and um, I was actually watching that West Awake documentary recently on TG Carter. They replayed it. Uh, where we, it was the first time we were in the Hiding Cup and we beat Harlequins in, in our last game to get our only win. But, you know, it, it's something that people have said since. And, and uh, you know, years ago, even 10 years ago, you'd see people walking down the streets of Galway in Munster and Leinster jerseys. You, it would be no, notable to see Connacht gear, whereas now you, you can't go anywhere near the city centre without passing people in hats and jerseys and shorts and the like. So I think there's been a, a huge shift, um, apart from the actual big wins that he's brought in, the individual games. I think there's been a shift locally in the mindset towards Connacht. And I think that's, uh, again, it follows on, as I said, it follows on from the foundation that Pat Lamb led, but it's it's grown and grown each year. And I think, um, I think Friendly and the type of, guy that he is, the type of type of personable approachable guy that he is, um has really has really led into that. And I think he was in a lot of ways he was the hero that we needed, maybe not the one we deserved as as the great man once Sick said. Batman quote man. I love that. Uh, that that made my made me a lot happier, Wesley. Thank you. Um that's my that's my uh, Brian O'Driscoll uh, tomatoes in a fruit quote, you know. 
Find out the fruit salad. Do we know the friendly's not Batman? Just to clarify. No. No, we I don't mean, know. For he's, sure. he's sneaky built, like muscular wise. Also a badass. He just goes mountain biking for the crack. Like and he's going off traveling around Europe in his motorhome. Like he's such a cool bloke. Like you know, we were talking to him and he was saying that there was some people on to him about potential offers and he was like, Nope. I promised my wife we're going traveling, we're going traveling. And you know, some of the offers could have been very good, but this is just, you know, this is what he wants to do. And I, I like such respect for that. You know, he's had a long time on the road. I think he was saying on that Galway Bay interview uh, I was listening to earlier that he uh, that he was only living in Canberra for five years and then moved to Melbourne and Connacht for the last five years is the only other time he's ever lived anywhere for five years. So fair fucking place from. Yeah, I know he is. He's well. The only way we can find out the Batman thing is that every city he's in, if we see the crime rates drop, we know that he's Batman. I think that's the only way we can go moving forward. Or if Batman starts saying mate at the end of everything as well, that would also be be huge. Um, we've we spoke on friendly, obviously. Uh, you know, we all love him here very much. So, um, we also want to look ahead to the new incoming head coach, which is Pete Wilkins. Um. Again, we were lucky enough to chat him briefly, myself and Sam, in Murty's a few weeks ago. And he's coming on the podcast at some stage, probably be before the start of the season, uh, which is nice to keep that track record of uh, head coaches coming on the podcast, uh, which would be nice. But, uh, Westy, we, when, when Wilkins was announced, there was a lot of people who weren't sure... Uh, people who were like, oh, is he only getting the job because obviously you know, he's he's been there with Friendly. That seems to have gone now a little bit with how Connacht have finished the season, with the signings that Connacht have made. It looks like actually we might have a really, really good coach in our hands here who A, can get a team playing a certain level and also attract the talent that we kind of need coming into the club as well. Yeah, I think so. I mean, everybody, as you guys said, Friendy speaks really highly of him. Everyone seems to speak pretty highly of Pete Wilkins. He has a, a, a good bit of uh, coaching, not necessarily international in terms of the national team, but he's he's coached in Australia, he's coached elsewhere. Um, he's been with Connacht for a while. I, I think, um, look, at people questioned it because we weren't, at the time, we weren't top of the league, you know? Um, and it was seen that maybe we had stagnated and we were kind of in a, we kind of gotten everything we could from the current coaching group. But, um I think, as you say, when, when you sit down and look at the statistics, you know, we, we talked about it a bit more in depth a few weeks ago, but what Sam said there, that the, the higher than 50% win rate the last few years, um, we are doing, something is being done right by this group of coaches. And I think that you could say all you want about keeping players in one place, keeping a, a core squad together. Um, and those, you know, we're now seeing those international plaudits come to some of those players. As we said, Blade called in, uh, he's been there, thereabouts now at Ireland squads for the last while. Has a bit of an opportunity now, maybe to to get some game time in the World Cup, depending on how things go. But um, a lot of that good is thrown away if you lose your entire coaching ticket. And at, at, at worst case, we were losing two guys from that coaching ticket. So if you were to get rid of the, if you were to get rid of a third and a fourth coach, made a whole new coaching ticket, then a lot of that, uh, a lot of that work is undone. So. Um, now that's just in a worst case now. A best case scenario, I said, like Pete seems to be held in really good regard by the coach, by the by the other coaches and by the players. Um, he's seen the struggles that we're going through. He he knows the areas Connacht needs to work on. I think that's really important. We we got reports during the year that 
he started having some input uh, on various areas of the attack and defence that that weren't working. And from all that we've heard, he was a big um, a big cornerstone in the change that we saw mid season. So um, I'm really excited to see what he can bring in terms of himself, and I'm delighted to see him bring in. You know, we've got Aaron Sexton, Mull, and uh, Scott Fardy coming in. So we've got young. Young, well, young in terms of a coaching perspective, but young coaches coming in to develop them. And I think as well, Connacht have a proud history of, of developing coaches. And I think that's that's important. You know, that's something that I, I want to keep. I, while, it, while it would be great if we convince Steve Hansen to leave Japan and come and coach Connacht, it's not realistic. You know, yeah, you have to, we have to shop in Aldi as, as the quote goes. So um, promoting somebody within from within who has a proven track record is a great first step. Bringing in new coaches with new ideas who have room to grow, who aren't stuck in their ways, who don't have a set game plan that we have to stick to. It's their way or the highway. I think that's that's important as well. We saw how change uh, implement, uh, affected us during the middle of the season. And um, I think the beauty is now you say that like, oh, it's an experience of coaches and they're in. I'd say Muller's already here. The players will come in. They could be here pre-World Cup. These guys could have two, three months together to work on a, a, a game plan and a style of coaching that they want to implement next season. I'd say Wilkins to me doesn't seem like either, either the type of guy who's going to be like, oh, it's my way or the highway. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about it. I think, as, as Sam said, Fernie left us in a good position, left us in good hands, and there are, um, there are great people coming in uh, who I think have so much potential to offer a lot to kind of going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, some good points there, Westy. And I want to start focusing on the coaching ticket that was been brought in, Sam, because um, we have a few questions in on Twitter as well. One from uh, Julian, uh, who we met a few weeks or a few months ago, myself and Westy Millam, lovely guy. Um, and also from <clears throat> someone called Arthur West, uh, who we're not familiar with, uh, but apparently a real bad guy. Uh, but Julian said, I uh, heard a term recently, coaching cam. Um, do we have the skill set in the new ticket to reinforce that in the players? Uh, and then also Arthur asks, do you think we'll get the same inconsistency with another new coaching ticket? Will this be another year of transition? Uh, Sam, I want to throw those two questions to you in relation to the new coaching ticket as well. Do you think that, do you see the improvements in maybe the mentality with this coaching ticket? Uh, or do we see, again, another kind of bedding in year potentially? Potentially, uh, but that was always going to be the case with the change. You look at Munster, there was a betting in year for them and it was the most successful betting in year you could possibly have. So something like that could So you're happen. guaranteeing URC next year? Guaranteeing Champions Cup next year, motherfucker. <laughs> uh, we're not going to quite make it over the line in the, uh, the URC. We're going to win the Champions Cup. Because, <laughs> we're, yeah, we're all focusing all too our, much on the Champions Cup. on the Champions Cup and then not qualify for it next year. Uh, it's called doing a Leinster. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, no I think that there's potential for it to be a transition year but we put ourselves in good stead get, keeping Wilkins on he was the head coach this year under a director of rugby Andy Friend Andy Friend talking about it on Galway Bay really good interview if anyone's like interested in listening to something after they've listened to this in its entirety twice or three times uh, he says you know Wilkins had the say on a lot of things and he just had to sell it to Friend so now he's just the one that he's selling it to himself and he's put himself in a good position with that he's surrounded himself with people, with his team, you know, we we were wondering why Devault Senecal wasn't kept on, but it was because they were opening it up. They were allowing for the interview process. And Wilkins has amassed a team with the the higher ups in Connacht that he feels is the best fit for him. Cully Tucker staying and, you know, some of the work himself and Devault Senecal have done around the breakdown and the set piece this year has been huge. So 
I think there's potential for it to be a transition, yes, but that doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing. It means you could implement a lot of things. It could be an up and down season and you see where you get on, but we've been put ourselves in a good stead uh, and we have signed nine players, all of which I think are going to add benefit to the team. I think what we've done is we've brought up our floor for one. We've added squad depth and we've also added some some game winners, some Joe Joyce's, some Jansons and some Corderos who I think are going to come in, be mainstays of the team pretty instantaneously. So it's it's a really good, and JJ Hanrahan's going to push Jack Harty and that bring the best out of one or both of the two of them. So that's a really good position to be in. So we've we've definitely going to have the potential for changes. Changes don't come easily. You have to look at where Munster were after four games. People on the media saying, "Is Roundtree up to this? Should they get rid of him? Should is it good enough?" They go on a huge run and they win the league, and that's that's the belief now that's happened. I hope the Connacht fans can look at this objectively throughout the season and realize that you are building for the future you're not it's not instantaneous it's not going to win straight away and to not give up after one bad defeat or to not give up after a couple of weeks the same way we shouldn't have given up after four games this season the same way monster shouldn't have given up their fans shouldn't have given up after four games this week because it can turn around and that's the whole reason why seasons are as long as they are so there's that and then the coaching calm thing is literally something that we'll have to just wait and see like we know pete wilkins as an assistant coach we know him as a head coach under director of rugby we don't know Mark Sexton really, except for his under-20s team, has been successful and he's done some work around Connacht. Muldoon as a coach in the Bristol setup is a different setup to here. And Scott Fardy is relatively green in terms of his coaching experience, a bit of local stuff in Australia and some Japanese top league, but nothing in immediately obvious to us in Europe here. So you know, we're waiting to see how that happens. But I think that some of the players they brought in, captaining experience of the likes of Joyce, the overall game experience of JJ, some good player, Cordero, with his, with his huge amounts of experience and flair, some of that, some of the inspirational player playing ability of Fardy and Muldoon, the experience of Wilkins there, he's been quietly amassing a lot of experience at a young age. I think that, that there is the opportunity there for them to be able to coach Cam and to be able to coach mentality. You know, if you're if you're stuck, you know, face down in the mud on a cold January night away somewhere in the league, you look over the sideline, you see Fardy and Muldoon, that's inspiration. Like there's no way the players can't draw some inspiration from them. So you're having that experience is something that I think will stand to this coaching ticket while they're all quite green. It's a good opportunity to grow with this young squad. I put it into the the chat here. Who's our oldest player? And our oldest player this season is Leva, and he's leaving. He's only 33, which is not old for a second row. You know, Bundy's at 33 under that. Butler's 31, Buckley's 32. So Tiernan's 31. It's a young squad with the potential to be even younger again. I think it averaged 26 this season, and that'll come down next year again. So it's a huge opportunity for this team, for this coaching ticket to, to coach Cam, like Julian said, and for also, you know, harness a little bit of uncertainty, harness it, embrace the madness and go for it. Yeah, I think, yeah, it is probably important to notice that or probably th- and to remember that, yeah, this is such a young squad that, like, if next year isn't the year that we hope it is, that maybe the year after could be. And, like, you know, if, if they go through some tough times next year, that'll only stand to them the year after and the year after that. And, unfortunately, like, we see this and we were talking during the week, Ulster fans are so expectant of their team to win titles and it's just not that easy. There's... Only two titles available every year. And unfortunately, there's some uh, sick teams <laughs> that also going for those titles. So it's just, you can't win. You can't win every year. You can't, like, obviously, kind of don't, but you kind of have to be patient with it. But 
Um, yeah, Westy, we'll finish up with uh, another question because we've been talking for a long time here. But um, well, Brian Judge uh, asked, possible area of weakness for next season, uh, the depth at nine worries uh, Brian. Um, and also maybe the unsung hero unsung hero of the season award. It used to be Owen Masson, uh, but he's given to Ushin Dowling this year, who always puts in a shift. And I think that's probably a good call. I think the obvious answer would be the likes of Kilgallen, who was fantastic. Seamus Harry Langton, who had just an incredible end of the season. But Dowling, you know, he's played at six for a few games this season. Uh, always comes on, kind of, you know, Niall Murray gets all the headlines, but Dowling has been fantastically um you know kind of just trudging away in 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 the in the trenches uh, and always puts in a good shift but um areas of weakness Wesley that potentially could be there next year the restart um it is an area of weakness it still is we haven't solved it um hopefully we we come up with something now over the next few months i think um Look, at, uh, to be perfectly honest part of me is a little bit afraid about our our rolling mall particularly our mall defense uh, the vault Senegal came in and shored that up pretty quickly. Um, not, I mean, Mull and uh, and Scott Hardy are two of the best rookers and mullers that, that ever played in this country. So um, I don't doubt their ability to do it. It's just how we transition into a, maybe either a new uh, way of packing down to defend it or um, or how we carry on in the, the vault Senegal style without them. Uh, they could well come in, change it for the better. You know, I'm not saying what, but I, I'd be a little bit... Uh, yeah, if I didn't say that Devault leaving, I think he's a big loss as a coach. Uh, if that didn't worry me a little bit, um, scrum half is an interesting one. Um, we've had two, and I'm, I have no doubts in saying world class scrum halves for the last God, how long? Five, eight years? God. Blady, um, Blady came into the team the 2016 year we won when Cooney was injured for a while and Blady was only about 20 or 21 and had a good couple of weeks and then was quiet for a year or two after that. But he's been around a long yeah. time. And like Marmion came up to the academy, like it, like we said before, it's such a shame to see him go. Like he's really given Everton to Connacht Rugby. Um, but a great opportunity for him as well, uh, going and playing in Bristol. So yeah, the depth at Scrum Half is an interesting one. Um from what I've seen of O'Reilly, I think he's he's brilliant. He's really got potential. We saw him absolutely buckle a Big Papa in the Breathe game, which is just brilliant. Um, but yeah, that drop-off is something that we're not really used to having. And especially if Blade does push forward for international plaudits, it, we, we could be left a bit high and dry in one or two games. Uh, now we're lucky in that the the structure of the, of the URC, we don't play usually during the Six Nations, so we might, we might avoid being tested too much in our scrum half depth. It's interesting that they mentioned Ocean Dowling because I think one of the areas we are not in any trouble is our second row. I think we, again, genuinely have two slash three of the best second rows. Or I could always say they are the best. And they're among the best second rows in the country, I'd say. So I'm really not worried. I think Murray has had... And actually, sorry not to go back to... I watched far too many documentaries on TG Carr. But to go back to the, Renel, the Relentless documentary from earlier in the year where Niall Murray was very much trying to it showed him as very much trying to establish himself as an undroppable player. And I think, um, although there will always be rotation in, in a kind of squad, I think he's kind of at that point now where he's one of the first names that you put down. Um, so I think in second row, we're, we're pretty good. Um, I think that, I think we're strong in the center. I think, I, I, I think our, I think where I am, I'm not worried, but I think 10 will be an interesting spot this year to see how the dynamic of JJ and Carthy goes. Uh, 
JJ is a, is a great player and hopefully he's able to push Carty on. Um, we know that Carty is, is kind of a form player when he's on form. He's fantastic and then, you know, is prone to kind of, uh, well, not prone to any crazy mistakes, but, you know, um, when he's off form, it can be, it can be slightly different. Um, and I think our back three will be interesting as well. I think we will probably not see Mac Hansen until after Christmas. Um, I don't know exactly what the crack is with Santiago Cordero, whether he whether he will be in the Argentina squad, whether he will play for Argentina, how far Argentina will get, will dictate how long we have to wait before we see him. Um, well, we have great players. You said Kilgallen, Porch and Tiernan are, are there to start maybe the first game. We have um, uh, the guy's name escaped me, the Corinthians guy, winger. Uh, you talked about him a second ago. Kilgallen. I said Kilgallen. Um, Jennings. Bucks. Uh, Shane Jennings. Shane and... No, I've lot of, uh, <laughs> McNulty or McNulty. Oh, fullback. Uh, full um, yeah, but I just mean so like the back three will be a, a point of transition at least until uh, at least for the first three or four games of the season. So I think that will be an interesting place to watch. But yeah, in terms of weaknesses, uh, yeah, it's our um, our our, our kickstarts are our, our molds, uh, and then our our halfbacks will be an interesting situation to watch. I don't necessarily, it's not weak if we have it, but as you say, two injuries down and we have, you know, a lot changes quite quickly there. Yeah, I think they're all very, very valid points. Um, you spoke on the Jack and JJ Hanran. Yeah, I, I would love, I'm kind of challenging Jack to maybe have a fantastic year next year, like really step up and sort of put your dominance on, on the team um, and just start to, I feel like he doesn't believe in himself sometimes or he feels like it's, again, it's always kind of confidence with Jack just to go out and kind of have a bit of swagger about him uh, and kind of, you know, take this team to the next level, which we all know we can do. Hopefully JJ's uh, presence can also kind of help that. But also I want Connacht not to be afraid that, hey, we're 55 minutes in, Jack isn't looking good. Not to be afraid to maybe make that change. I feel like at the moment we are afraid to make that change because there isn't really that valid backup to Jack and uh, I feel like you know maybe you know getting JJ on with 25-30 minutes to go and seeing how that goes I think I just don't want Connor to be afraid I don't think Pete Wilkins would be afraid to do that but um, that's kind of one area where I would love to see next year like that really really push on but look at um, we're an hour and a half in uh, so apologies to anyone who is uh, listening to this and is getting like what the hell's going on but it was a season recap it was always going to be long especially with the Munster and the Irish squad so um, if you're still listening to this uh, fair play to you we appreciate that and yeah the podcast will be slowing down a little bit We still, I still want to do an Ulster, Munster and Leinster recap uh, but we'll try and get maybe people on from those provinces uh, to recap that action as well uh, and yeah, just the Connacht Obviously podcast will be stopping for a while. But thank you to everyone who's listened throughout the season. Thank you to Connacht themselves for giving us plenty of good days out and plenty of frustrating days on the couch as well. Uh, it's all part of the journey. Thanks to the two boys here, Westy and Sam, for always showing up and always being fantastic on the podcast. We really appreciate it. And well, yeah, we've got a World Cup coming up. We'll be back thick and fast. We may even do one from France. We don't know yet. We're looking into the looking into it, seeing what the possibilities are. Uh, and also I said we'll have Pete Wilkins on to start the season as well. Um, he gave me his number foolishly, so I mean, he's not getting away from me. Tell you that. Uh, but lads, yeah, appreciate it as always, and we'll be in touch soon. Night night. Cheers, boys. <laughs>